Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 9, How to Win Friends and Influence Monsters. Let's get this show on the road. Just a reminder that for the entire month of November, we are offering a 15% discount on all of our Etsy items. No codes, everything is just 15% off automatically. That's our Impala pin, that's our Kansas Lied tote, and our brand new Fate print that I'm looking at on my wall right now. It's so pretty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so if you've been eyeing any of these for yourself or as a gift, now's the time. You've got until November 30th. And this week, we'd like to shout out Panda Onesie as well as S. LaCava for the lovely reviews that they actually left for us on Apple Podcasts. We honestly really appreciate it, and it really does help us. We're actually seeing like some really cool stuff like on Apple Podcast charts lately. I don't know. I'm really excited about it. I think it's really cool. Like we're we're charting. Like <laughs> we get that email saying like, "Oh, you're on like the top 100 in this place," and we're just like, "Oh my god, it's working." Like, you're in the top 100 in this country, and this country, and this country. And it's like, oh my god, thank you so much, you guys. Like, we we so we genuinely so appreciate it. Like, through the reviews, through listening, through Patreon, through everything. Like, thank you so much for, for all of your support. For the first time, I think, since we began this show, we're recording an episode where I have already seen the next episode. Right. Uh, we actually watched this and the following episode for anyone who's seen it, obvious reasons, as a back-to-back kind of a two-parter for a live watch last month. I am doing everything in my power to look at this episode as a self-contained piece of media. The decision to do the double feature was not an easy one, actually. Rochelle and I like really talked about it. We were wondering, like, is it better to like just watch one or the other like to make you wait basically or to just watch the two together and we figured that the kindest option was to have you watch both of them together and to have a community there to kind of like support you as you're watching it doesn't mean that no screenshots were taken because screenshots were definitely (laughs) taken we were there for you hopefully and i don't know hopefully that kind of like made it better for you i don't i really don't i don't know In the moment, I was very much on board with the time that has passed to reflect on this episode, both from a note-taking perspective and, like, planning phase, but also just, like, a personal reflection, which is kind of the point of all this. I I definitely think this was the kindest way to do it. Had we not done a double feature, I would have been even worse off not knowing. Whereas, at least if I was alone, I'd have the option to cheat and go watch the next episode out of desperation. The side effect of some funny screenshots coming out of it only made it easier in the end. Are we ready for the recap of this episode? Count me down. Three, two, one, bang, bang. (laughs) Oh, of all the things you could have said, you're going to go with a burger. Um, TDK Slammer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want one. The boys are on a case for some sort of weird creature in town. They're throwing around some ideas. Sam thinks it might be something they've already faced, like a werewolf or a wendigo, but everything doesn't really line up. 
and everyone in town is super chill, except for one waiter who's just, like, absolute, like, alpha male angry mode. And then Dean gets super passive, just like the sheriff, who doesn't even seem to be phased by his teammate or his partner getting murdered. Everything's super weird. And then we find out it's because the Leviathans are engineering some sort of chemicals in the burgers, specifically the Turducken burger at Biggerson's, that makes people super placid. They don't even notice when someone dies in the room with them, as we see in a sample. This explains why Dean is super out of it, even though he's been a little out of it for different reasons the entire episode we'll get into. They get to the Leviathans, they go after them, Bobby gets kidnapped, he then gets away, but as they're in the getaway car, actually getting away, a certain dick fires a gun and apparently is a really good shot, and Bobby is going to the hospital. Time. There you go. I said it during the lives, we'll say it again here. For anyone who's been following us on our journey this far, you know how I felt about Zachariah and how much I wanted him to be destroyed. How do you think I feel about Dick Roman right now? I think you want to smash some dick right now. (laughs) (laughs) Phrasing! (laughs) We are, I'm just letting you know that we are in for a lot of dick jokes. So I figured we would just start. Like, let's just get started. We had a bunch of good ones during the live episode, too. I remember a few in the chat. There you go. <sighs> Tell me about this episode. So it was written by Ben Edlund, directed by Guy B, and originally aired on November 18th, 2011. So the episode opens with the show kind of mocking some glampers, which isn't really important per se, but like I just think that this is another instance of like Supernatural mocking people for just liking things that don't hurt other people also, you know? This kind of feels to me like the same kind of like ribbing you would give like the nerds in a high school movie. Like they're nerds just because they're nerds. So we're allowed to make fun of them. We do get a mention of the Jersey Devil, but we don't actually get it as a monster of the week. As soon as they said it, I'm like, it's way too early to be actually calling the shot now. So we're not going to get him. And I guess we don't ever get him. Sorry, little guy. Yep, sorry, Jersey Devil. We do get another Biggerson's appearance, though. A lot more. Right, there you go. Becomes kind of central to this storytelling. We have Brendan, the waiter, like you said, who calls Dean Kendall, which, like, is funny because we just saw the Barbie movie this summer, right? All of us. And, like, Dean does look like Ken. Ha 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 ha. But also because, like, we got Dean Smith dressed as Ken in 417, It's a Terrible Life. It's so much more informed by our current day than it could have ever been when it was written. But, like, well done. I think it was much more of a burn back then. Now it's just like, oh, yeah, he looks like Ken. <laughs> We find out that Bobby used to take Sam and Dean hunting when they were younger. I think even more important, we learn that he takes them hunting, but also takes them just to be boys sometimes. Like, oh, Bobby. When uh, John would dump them on him, I think is the phrasing that's used. You know, all the clues of how much this is a Bobby episode, it, it never hit me. This episode introduces us to Dick Roman's scheme of making humans like a stable food supply for the Leviathans. Uh, So the plan is basically to kind of like feed the humans junk food in order to make them like ultra compliant and then basically like raise them the way that we do cattle. This just kind of screams like sci-fi plot. Like I feel like I've seen this vaguely done in a hundred different ways. I think I even called out at the time of this is basically like the major plot of 
Firefly Serenity. This is literally like the big thing. I didn't know that. As a side note, this is the first time that the brothers actually find out about Dick Roman because we've seen him before, we the audience. And so we know a little bit about who he is, but the boys don't actually. All they had before was Crowley saying like he hates that dick, right? So that could have been anybody as far as they were concerned who was a sm small d dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love you to know specify our uppercase dicks and our lowercase dicks. We also get an idea of the kind of person or character, I guess, that like Dick actually is. So the Leviathan Doctor, who used to be really terrifying to us earlier this season, is terrified of him. He's terrified of Dick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know you're doing it too, and I love it. <laughs> it really gives us this kind of air of like, this dude means business. We also find out, finally, what bibbing means. You know, we had like a, a little thing about that. Like, what's don't make me bib you was the, the threat at the time. And what that means is basically putting on a really cheap seafood bib on a Leviathan and having them eat themselves. Yes, that is correct. I know it'll never be answered, but I still want to understand the like mechanics of this. Like, if functionally at some point it's no longer feasible. I mean, I guess they're like inter purgatory monsters but like there's still something there but also again like, i think this kind of goes into like the aura of menace that he has that he's able to just like put the bib on somebody and they know like oh i don't have a choice i have to do this like this is the better alternative to what will happen if i refuse him i for some reason i saw it as like and i might be completely wrong about this because there's no lore but I saw it as like, once the bib is on, they don't have a choice. And not, not to say, <laughs> which, as I'm saying it now, sounds completely unhinged. But <laughs> I figured that it was kind of like the self-destruct button, you know, like you press the self-destruct button by putting on the bib and then they have to eat themselves. Because understandably, this show, I would not put it past them that that is the logic. I, until further notice, still really think it is kind of the, like, I'm asking you to, like, take yourself out, because if you don't do it this way, I'll make it worse. I, I think that that, you can definitely think that, like I said, there's no, there's no real explanation about that. Because otherwise, I mean, the, the, the boys could just go out and buy a bunch of cheap bibs from bigger sins and defeat every Leviathan easily. Listen, I did think about that. I was like, what if they tried? <laughs> I can just imagine there was that cut conversation where the two of them go like, okay, but is it a choice thing or is it like compulsory? Like, can we go catch Leviathan and get a bib and see what happens? Like, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> we confuse them? We lose a hand, whatever. <laughs> Cass can fix us. <laughs> oh no, Cass is dead! <laughs> They'd make Cass do it, you know it. <laughs> if he was still there. Cass, just uh, put, put this bib on that guy. It's camp, right? So this is, this is the camp that we have entered the camp era of Supernatural. So Bobby has a talk with Dean, and we do need to keep that in mind. Uh, and we will talk about it more in story time. Bobby is captured by the Leviathans, but Sam and Dean do manage to save him. He steals some important documents from Dick's office before escaping. 
as we now know, his final act of hunting essentially was getting this information. We'll learn more, but I mean, we'll learn more eventually, even with what I know from next week. We don't know much about it. Uh, someone tried to allude that I could figure it out from the numbers, but I still don't know. So I'm waiting. The final scene of the episode is basically Bobby jumping into the getaway van while Dick is shooting at them, at the boys and Bobby. They do manage to get away, but when Bobby isn't responding to the brothers, Sam turns around, grabs Bobby's hat, and we see that it has been shot through. This ending, like, you were there, you saw how it hit me. From this moment on was the moment where I had the, like, self-realization that I had no way of confirming that Bobby was in the show beyond this point. So I was truly going into this end of an episode the way someone who's watching it live would have going, I don't know what happens. Like, I know we've made it very clear we are working under the pretense that Cass is dead. I, again, peek behind the curtain. I know he comes back. I've seen screenshots. I've seen clips. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, no, Bobby's... And I legitimately had to, like, roll a deck through, like, screenshots and clips and things in my head going, I have no evidence that Bobby's in another episode beyond this. And that really, like, for the first time in a while, like, the show's surprised me here and there. But, like, this is the first time it's really hit me hard in a while. Again, this is the, the reset era. You had said this to me, and this was still outside of the realm of possibility to me at that moment. I think it was the fact, the case for a lot of people. Our theme this week is depression, which comes from Latin to press or to push down. So obviously we know that depression is also a clinical diagnosis. It's a clinical term of a specific kind of mental illness. But again, like you and I, Drew, we're not mental health professionals. So we're going to use like a more general definition of depression, which is like just feelings of severe despondency and dejection. And despondency, I had to look it up because I was like, I'm not sure that I really know what that means. But it's like a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage. And I think that that is really the key to depression, that idea that you have a loss of hope somewhere. And again, not in the clinical sense, because that has very specific, a very specific definition, but that's not really what we're looking at today. So I'm going to start us off with Dean, and I honestly can't believe that I'm starting with a reference to Bugs, but I guess that's just who I am now. In Bugs, uh, Dean makes a comment about how he loves like hot showers, and we end up finding out a lot about his love for comfort in this episode. There's something that kind of continues throughout the seventh season that we've seen about his love for comfort. You know, he loves to drive to drive his car. He loves to take hot showers. He likes to sleep in comfortable beds. He likes to eat comfort food. Like kind of, anyway, like a lot of us, right? We love our comfort and our definition of comfort. So none of this is new for Dean. Like it's been very present in his characterization for the last seven and a half, six and a half seasons. But at this point, it's entirely stripped away from him, right? Like he starts this episode off by saying exactly this line, like weeks, guys, weeks. We've been living with cold showers, cold hot pockets, cold freaking everything. I mean, this is the bottom that we're living in. You guys get that, right? 
And like that in and of itself is pretty upsetting, right? But keep in mind that Dean is also reeling from the loss of Cass and that in grief, what helps people hang on and carry on, so to speak, is is often like the little things in life, which Dean can't even have right now. Is Bugs like our secret episode that acts as like the key to the rest of the series? I'm very upset about this, Drew. Like, <laughs> Probably very clear here. I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around this theme this week. And even with just this much on the table, I'm feeling something strange and upsetting. Uh, not to get away from it too much, but I think something that many people, myself included, suffer with when it comes to depression is the fact that the feeling of being depressed is not always very obvious to an outside observer. And we think of depressing characters. I don't think Dean is a name that would jump to mind right away from the world of TV and movie as someone who is depicted as depressed. And it's done a lot of harm to this character. This is very much the kind of depression someone less in touch with a mental illness would look at and shrug off as a bad day and not a symptom of a larger issue. Sure. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think, though, that like we know that that's not the case, right? Because we know that Dean experiences suicidal ideation like more often than other characters on this show. And, and we've seen him like at his worst and when he's got really, really difficult moments. So like, I feel like to me, this isn't something that's particularly new. Like I do, I personally do see Dean, especially in these seasons, as someone who's not doing well. So, so I see what you're saying, though. And I, I just think that one of the hard things for Dean right now is that, like, neither Bobby or Sam is agreeing with him. And he feels that, like, his concerns are being dismissed. Like, they don't really, they don't seem to care that they don't have this comfort that he seems to need so badly right now, right? Like, he's, like, suffering from the loss of caste, the loss of his quality of life, as he puts it, you know? And the people around him are, like, Oh, just get over it, you big baby. Like, it's really not that big a deal. Which is honestly probably like the worst reaction to have when you're not doing well and somebody and you're telling somebody about it. But it's also like a very common response. I'm hearing so many people I've known from my past in that sentence right there. Uh, and I know we're not discussing the formal diagnosis of Dean. That is not our place to do this. But to make a comparison to how hard it can be to have someone not understand your emotional state because everyone's perceptions of feelings are different. Dean is clearly reaching a limit and it's really starting to grate on him that Bobby and Sam aren't seeing it and they're almost ignoring it. They just aren't understanding how it's really affecting him. Ultimately, I don't truly think Dean understands how he's feeling. It's always sort of been an issue with Dean is the difficulty with his own emotions. He, he spends so long hiding from others that he doesn't always see himself when he needs to. But, like, this level of sadness and depression is new to him, and it's beginning to show through the cracks. So while he is reeling with something new and difficult, those around him, not in any malicious manner, just carry on like this is all normal, because up until now, this is more or less how Dean has dealt with reality, is really making it that much harder for him. And I don't think he sees it, and it's clear why they don't see it either. Well, I mean, that's also one of the big things, right? Like when you're not feeling well, when you're feeling depressed and like everybody just like goes on with their lives, right? Like it's everybody seems to be moving on and, and doing things and being happy. And you're just there like, okay, all right, this is great. 
Like you're watching everybody having a great time and you're like, I am not having a great time right now. And so I feel I feel like this is Dean in this moment. Very much so. And I kind of want to look at this line here because I think it's really important. You know, when he says, like when the, the lights cut out and he goes, that's just great. This is stupid. Our quality of life is crap. We got purgatory's least wanted everywhere. And we're on our third, the world screwed issue. In what, three years? We've steered the bus away from the cliff twice already. What if the bus wants to go over the cliff? And I kind of want to dig into this a little bit because it sounds like Dean wants to give up on saving the world. But like realistically, like what would that mean for Dean? It would mean death, right? Like if the Leviathans take over, they're going to eat everybody, as we're seeing in this episode anyway, uh, probably a lot faster too than we think. So Dean is basically saying here that like he's done and that he's wondering if it's not just better to die than to continue living, especially if living in this case means living the way that he's currently living. And we've seen Dean uh, express suicidal ideation before, but like this feels like a lot more casual than before, like a lot more reckless almost. Yeah, I think this is like the scariest part of this like weakness he's feeling and this depression that he's in. He's no longer giving up because it's a heroic gesture or because he feels he deserves some kind of cosmic punishment. He is just tired. He's lost something in Cass that he didn't realize he had lost. Losing Cass, unlike past losses, wasn't one that just led to anger or a need for revenge. Losing Cass hurt him deeper than he could ever understand. So now his feelings towards giving up have a very different motive. Mm, right yeah, yeah for sure for sure for sure oh my god i'm thinking of a, a future episode and so i'm like ah, i can't say that <laughs> I'm like i want to say something but i can't i love when i touch on a future episode yeah episodes. i know there you go <laughs> like you touched on a future episode button and i was like nope <laughs> not coming out so yeah so to bring it back to this episode i think personally for me like this is why dean like getting high on the turducken slammer i think the tdk slammer is what it's called like it's is particularly heartbreaking in this case because like yeah it's played for laughs and and it is funny i think it really is like i laughed i chuckled you know like i had a good time watching it but it's also really like a good representation of what it's like to like seek out substances and experiences that can help you like step outside of yourself when you're going through a, like a depressing or a depressive moment in your life like the line you know like I don't care that I don't care that he says as he's chuckling is kind of like a punch to the gut for me <laughs> because it betrays his true feelings here like that he does care and he cares so much actually that it hurts and he thinks that it would be a lot easier if he didn't this is major disassociation vibes for me if you can't feel then what is hurt or loss? Just feelings that you can block out. And as we know, it wasn't intentional seeking out this substance to abuse, but accidental and allowed us to see a Dean who has blocked out all feelings in an attempt to protect himself from just some feeling. You know that if this was like a, like not a CW show, Dean would be doing more drugs. I, I, I think so. So if we can move on to Sam. Yes. I'm of two minds when it comes to talking about Sam this episode, because on the one hand, like this is kind of one of those episodes where I personally think that Sam is underused as a character. And so I'm going to talk about that more in critical time. So I'm separating those two, my two minds, basically. 
But if I really look at him purely through a narrative lens, I think that Sam is like too busy dealing with his literal demons to be able to respond to Dean's depression. Like I can easily explain that Sam is acting the way that he does with Dean in this episode because he's just too busy trying to suss out like what's real and what isn't probably from like still reeling from the Becky thing and the Lucifer thing and the hell thing and all of the other trauma that he's injured, right? Like, it's really easy to kind of say like, well, Sam's got a lot on his plate right now. You should never have to use etc. when you're describing a list of traumas. That's a, that's a bad sign because clearly Sam is thoroughly burdened by a lot right now. And though we've begun to see this like newfound way of thinking that he's led him to like better handle his literal demons more efficiently, he's very clearly not 100% okay and is living with his issues as best as he can, which again, kudos for him to do so, but clearly it has effects. And you're right, this might be enough for someone to not fully be aware that someone so close to them is suffering too, but we know later on that Sam clearly has put it together. And even past like the Lucifer thing, it's almost like Sam is going like, if I ignore it for long enough and I act like nothing is happening, then maybe things are just going to sort themselves out because like he can see it, but he's also, he never talks to Dean about it, which I find really interesting. And I have some thoughts about that. The thing is like, I have immense compassion for like this kind of reaction of like, maybe things will just sort themselves out because it sort of reminds me of the way that a child would deal with their parents' depression or their parents' like sadness. Like, okay, it's okay. Like if, if I just act normal and I try to be funny or to, to distract you, then I'll cheer you up. Right. And this is kind of like messed up because Sam's not Dean's child, right? Like we know that. But of course, that's the dynamic that we do have here, thanks to Jonathan Winchester. So it's funny, because you started that, like, thought, and I was like, I don't know, I'm not really on board, I think I'm going to, like, debate this. Uh, and then the comparison to, like, the child-parent relationship and that, like, it, it, it like, clicked perfectly. Because I can see this, he's seen something is wrong, but doesn't feel like he can really fix it, and just rather has to move on and let the adults deal with it like he sees them on that level almost uh not that he sees himself as a kid sam but that he sees something that he can't be the one to step up and take care of he like needs bobby to intervene and do it because he knows bobby has the parental figure role something we've seen since the beginning of the show which is kind of how both of them spent the first several seasons letting each other deal with stuff rather than trying to deal with stuff together and I don't think they've by any means gotten better, but we have seen Sam, at least, with some of his growth. Um, I'm thinking back to um, Sam Interrupted, I think, most specifically, where he does try to turn to Dean and go like, no, something's wrong, talk time. Uh, and Albeit, I don't think that actually pans out. We're starting to see a Sam's emotional growth in that, yes, it sometimes there needs to be a conversation, not just a, this too shall pass. And that's kind of the thing, right? Because he doesn't actually talk to Dean about this. He talks to Bobby. So like you said, that idea of like letting the adults deal with it, I find so funny because like that's kind of what happens, right? He doesn't go to Dean to talk about it. He goes to Uncle Bobby. He gets it right, right? Like he acknowledges that what brings Dean down is having lost Cass and like his own battle with Lucifer in his mind, right? Like so he knows exactly what it is. He can put his finger on it. He says... You ever feel like he's going through the same motions, but he's not the same Dean? 
And like that image of Dean going through the motions, but just not feeling it to me is so representative of feeling uh, depressed. To kind of go back to Dean for a tiny bit, just because you said a line that I need to reflect on with you here. This line specifically, again, really weird timing. I just watched the episode and attended a live drag performance of Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with feeling, which very clearly has an entire opening song about Buffy going through the motions, but not putting her heart into it. And I think the entire episode deals with her depression in the same sense we're dealing with Dean's here. So at least Dean didn't have to break into song to explain his depression to Sam. Sam was able to discern it and Bobby agrees with him. No, this is not the musical episode of Supernatural. I'm sorry, there's a musical episode coming up? Perhaps, you never know. You know what? I don't. Maybe Dean tap dances. You never know. (laughs) Oh my god, I would die. Alright, I do want to talk about Bobby because, well, you know. Bobby sees that Dean is pretty profoundly depressed. Like, he can see it. And the way that he addresses it is by worrying about his survival. Which, like, because as hunters, he's like... You get a case of the Ann Sextons, something's going to come up behind you and rip your fool head off. He's not wrong, right? Like, I want to be clear about that. Like, in-universe, this makes sense, and I get it, and I'm, I'm not going to hold it against Bobby. But again, like, if we use fiction to talk about our real lives, like, then maybe the thing to tell Dean in this moment sounds something a bit more like, I see you, and I see your pain, and your hurt, and your suffering, and maybe you need to take some time off to grieve, or some time to grieve and to feel more like yourself before you can come back and do this job, right? Yes, this exactly. Like, while I don't know who or what an Anne Sexton is, you're 100% right. We have Bobby, who has ultimately been one of the greatest sources of compassion for Dean in the series literally the only one in most cases, giving him not bad advice, but not the advice or words Dean needs then. And sure, their lives are a bit more dangerous than most, so yes, it's not wrong, as you stated, but it's not the right time for it. The in-universe explanation is just so different from what most people's lives would be, right? Like in most jobs, you would be able to kind of like take a step back uh, to feel a bit more like yourself. And uh, if for anybody wondering, Anne Sexton was a uh, an American poet who wrote a lot of confessional poetry and killed herself before the publication of her last uh, book of poetry because she had said that she would never allow it to be published before her death. And so, there you go. And quite on set, action. Here at Biggersons, we know you want more than the average meal. You want it big. So for a limited time, let us introduce to you the Pepper Jack Turducken Slammer. Our signature grilled toasted buns, lettuce and tomato, all wrapped around a beautiful, triple delicious chicken, turkey and duck patty, slathered in melted pepper jack cheese. Cut, cut, cut. What's up? Oh fuck, I mean, I know we eat people, but 
Doesn't it just make you feel sick? I mean, look at this abomination they call food. Oh, I'm going to throw up that extra I ate earlier. Oh, get it together. It's not even actually made from any of those stupid birds. It's all science mumbo-jumbo and chemicals. I, I'm here to direct, not to understand it. Okay, yeah, I know, but still. The thought of having to eat humans who've ingested this? Like, a fourth layer on top of the chicken, duck, and turkey already? Ugh. Come on. Even you gotta find this a bit too much, right? I'm a fan of this easy service style food. At the end of the day, it's a meal, and any meal I can get served up easy is a good one in my books. Gotta admit, I don't like these humans, but whoever thought up this Biggerson's chain, well, they're okay in my book. Anyways, let's take five, go let your stomach settle. I think there's a playground next door, grab a quick snack and get back here. This time, you don't gotta hold the burger. We'll just shoot some shots of it and put it together later in post. Okay, everyone, five minutes. I promised that I would talk a bit more about how I feel that Sam is underused in this episode. But the thing that I, I want to get to is that I'm starting to see a pattern in the way that Supernatural writes Dean and Sam. Like in the early seasons, it was pretty easy for us to identify like a Dean episode versus a Sam episode because Dean was written like a bit of a bumbling idiot in Sam episodes. And I think that we can safely say that this era of writing is over and that now the characterization of the brothers has changed since those early seasons. What we have here is a little bit different. In Sam episodes, so episodes where Sam is struggling with something, Dean is right there, like struggling with him. So like just this season, think about 702 Hello Cruel World, when Sam shoots at nothing, you know, in the wet pipe factory, thinking that Lucifer is with them. Dean is there with him, not just physically, but emotionally. He's helping him like sort shit out, literally. He helps him figure out what's real and what isn't through like the wound on his hand. And this is just one example, but there's there's plenty more. And then you move to Dean episodes, and like, Sam's not really there. And I mean, like, he's there physically with Dean, obviously, but he's not there emotionally the way that Dean is there for him. And personally, I think that this is a writing issue. I'm not sure why, but this is, to me, a writing issue. This is not how my personal characterization of Sam would go. The fact that he is written that way does have repercussions for like the canon of Sam's character and how people understand him. Having it like said aloud has made it much clearer now because you're very right. And I think it has to do with the fact that I think Dean is a more well understood character by those writing. And yes, we've discussed in the past that not every writer writes Dean the same way. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there is different ways to see Dean and different writers write him a little differently has fleshed him out. So that in any scenario, there is a way to write Dean in that makes sense for his characterization. Whereas I feel like you're right. Sam, if Sam isn't the star, they seem to have trouble making him like the narrative and not just be like a sidekick for the episode so you know what you just said unlocked something for me because you know who sam was as a self-insert right wait was he well it was kripke 
it's really interesting to me that now that Kripke's gone, like they they're having trouble writing Sam because they're like, okay, well, thank you for that. Self inserts never work. I mean, he stays in for fifteen seasons, so. Yeah, but we're seeing some small repercussions of it. Yeah, little, little, tiny bit. This week we have a message from Olivia. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what is your comfort food for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Olivia writes, Hi, Drew and Marie. I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast, as I am rewatching the show for the first time in nearly 10 years. Your commentary and critical analysis has enhanced my viewing this time around. I have a write-up about Sam and the law following your discussion about Stanford course listings. I limited my observations to seasons 1 through 5 to keep it spoiler-free for Drew. Oh, thank you. And other first-time watchers slash listeners, feel free to share part of or all of my message on your show as time permits. Your special episode about Sam's course schedule at Stanford really scratched the itch in my brain. I've always felt that Sam's pre-law background was underused narratively despite it having interesting thematic implications. We know hunting is inherently criminal. The show makes it clear there's no way to do this job or support yourself as a hunter that does not involve some level of criminal activity. We also know that law enforcement is one of the biggest human threats that hunters face, which we see explored in Season 2 and also in Gordon's arc. So Sam breaking away from his family to go to college and picking a career in upholding and honoring the law, which in many ways is diametrically opposed to the life he was raised in, is so layered and delicious. It can be parallel to Sam's Blood Freak and Lucifer Vessel arcs, where there's a question of which side is Sam really on? Ours, the inside, hunters, the good, etc. Or theirs, demons, law enforcement, Lucifer, the other, etc. I think your discussion of Season 2, Sam rejecting the identity of criminal despite factually being a criminal, was really great and lies into how Sam justifies and rationalizes his behavior, which is a major element of Season 4 and beyond. I think the Ivy League nuanced logic Sam uses versus Dean's blue-collar, black-and-white approach is generally viewed as positive in the moral dilemmas of Seasons 1-3, through but becomes a slippery slope as the series continues. For example, Ruby is almost always able to convince Sam to do the things she wants by appealing to his hubris and misguided sense of justice. More than Ruby's manipulation, it's Sam's self-righteousness in believing his own intellect and morality that breaks the seal to start the apocalypse. I say all this with love. I am a lost I, I am a lost student after all. Lol. Takes one to know one, Sam. <laughs> This is a parallel to Dean's rejection of the identity of the righteous man that breaks the first seal. The show on some level does touch upon Sam v. Dean's approach to the law in the way the characters interact with law enforcement, especially in the early seasons. Dean hates cops, makes fun of them to their face, and views them as incompetent. In contrast, Sam gets mad at Dean's disrespect for law enforcement. See episode 1, season 1. Law enforcement is generally shown to be at best oblivious or at worst thoroughly incompetent in the Kripke era, and the good cops slash lawyers we see are those who actively and knowingly break the law to help the boys. 
Think of the cop in The Benders that looks the other way and helps Dean and ultimately lets him escape, or the public defender in Folsom Prison Blues that puts her job on the line and tells the FBI the wrong info about the graveyard. Throughout the course of the show, the narrative attitude towards cops shifts slightly as we meet characters like Officer Jody. There are actually some interesting police moments coming up in Season 6, so there's definitely more to discuss. All this to say, I think there should have been at least one flashback scene of Sam playing Devil's Advocate in his pre-law classes. Think of the foreshadowing. The Lucifer Vessel as your lawyer, incredible. Social commentary laying right there for the taking. We should have seen him negotiating subclause in the demon deals or seen him throw into legal drama in Gabriel's TV land. Oh, I would have loved that. There are other nods to Sam's law aspirations throughout the 10 seasons to come. But for the most part, I think there were interesting narrative things to say about the element of Sam's characterization that were left on the table. I would love to hear your thoughts on Sam Lawboy Winchester. Thank you all for your hard work and carry on, Olivia. Uh, Olivia, honestly, like it's, it's again, I'm a witch. Um, this is um, really interesting that we're talking about this in an episode where I'm very mad about Sam being underused. And first off, thank you very much for your message, especially given that you are a law student as well. I think that that makes it like even more, like you said, delicious, right? To kind of like dive into this. And there's kind of a thing that I, I want to talk about because I fully agree with you. I think this would have been so great, like seeing him negotiate those things. But again, like, you know, he did pre-law, but he there's no pre-law at that Stanford. So it's kind of like this awkward thing. Anyway, whatever. Let's putting that aside for a second. He never actually went to law school. And I think that that is something to kind of like keep in mind, like if we're thinking fiction into reality kind of way. But I do agree that it would have been nice to see him like use a little bit of his knowledge to be able to like to get them out of some situations, which we do see one episode where he does that, but that's it. That's it. And it's, it's again, underused. There's one thing that I sort of want to scratch at just a little bit. You know, like you, you compare Dean and Sam's approach to law enforcement and you talk about, you know, like Sam wanting to be a lawyer in order to uphold the law. And not necessarily but, but and, there are definitely parts of upholding the law that requires looking at the way that law enforcement does not. And I think that that, and I know that people have very, very strong opinions about Sam and what he, what the kind of law that he would have practiced, but I still think that there's like a part of him that would have liked or that would have found it necessary to help, to be a public defender, to help those people who are brutalized by the system, who are brutalized by law enforcement, to help those people get their justice from a system that is set up against them to begin with. So I, I think, I, I don't know, that's kind of like, those are my thoughts about Sam Lawboy Winchester, really, that I think, I think he would have set out to be like this really like corporate lawyer, like doing something completely different. Like he wants to leave hunting and then eventually something happens where he's like, this is not what I am meant to do. And he finds like, he becomes a public defender of some sort. And, and I think, I think that that would have been I think that Sam would have excelled at that. I could also see the spinoff where Sam is a public defender, but keeps getting cases that are somehow tied to supernatural events. So he has to get the person 
off safely, but also deal with the the actual supernatural thing. It's the setup of like Murdoch. Like, what is it? It's uh, what's the name? Whatever Foggy's actual Fo- name is. I was gonna say Foggy, Foggy and Murdoch. <laughs> Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil. Like, I feel like that, because I feel like Sam and Daredevil, like, they're not that far apart. You know what I mean? Like, in terms of how they approach life. And so I think that there's, like, something really interesting there that it was just completely dropped again and underused, like you said. And as we said earlier this episode, like, it sort of feels like they just didn't really know how to write Sam. And they were like, I don't know, whatever. Like, let's just write Dean because we know how to write him. And it's sad. It feels like to me this is the kind of thing where, like, I can't assume they didn't have a show Bible of some sort, even if it did have some discrepancies. But like the kind of things you include in that are we now have this history of Sam potentially going into law. So maybe while he was in school, he took some pre-law classes or studied it on the side or like took extracurricular night classes. Like you could there's so much room to build that mythos and then give this to him as a characteristic where when it comes to dealing with law enforcement or dealing with legal proceedings, he has a bit more knowledge. He has this kind of wealth of information that doesn't have to seem out of place because realistically, he's going to just find the answer anyways by using a computer. Why not have it be built into his character? Like it really is a missed opportunity as we discussed today in Sam not having enough character. Wow. You really are a witch. I don't know how I do it. I don't know. Don't don't ask me to do it on purpose. I wouldn't be able to. (laughs) And Olivia, I love this was genuinely genuinely a great message. I really like getting a chance to like, like just it it helps me see that I'm not the only person seeing these things, and that we can kind of have this collective vision of a character that is not just like, like, like. as much as this is technically implied headcanon, to use my favorite term, it's nice to know that it is shared amongst many of us. Thank you. Yeah, I, I dove right into my thoughts, but thank you very much, Olivia, for this lovely message. What are our reflection and call to action this week? I think it'd be hard to not touch on depression a little bit here because it can really kick your ass. I think like we're all allowed to not understand it. Like I'm not a professional. I'm just someone who deals with it as it comes. And I think it's good just to remind myself a good cry once in a while is not a bad thing. And I just wish I could give Dean that advice. Not that he'd take it, mind you, but I would like to give him that advice. That's, that's all I that's all I got. Just you know what? A good cry once in a while. Hopefully, hopefully everyone has a thing that helps them get it if they need it and they can just sit there and sob for a minute because it really does help. And Mary, what are your thoughts and reflections and actions this week? Well, so depression, like not in a clinical diagnosis sense, but like uh depression is a theme that like hits home in a pretty spectacular way for me this week. And so I I went in trying to see if the episode had any wisdom to offer on like how to get through those moments in life uh, when we do feel depressed. And I guess that the advice that I'm taking from seeing it is something that's worked for me in the past, like fake it till you make it like and I'm not sure how healthy that is. Right. Like, but it has helped me before. 
like going through the motions sometimes is what we do need, you know, just doing the next thing that needs to be done and like focusing on those little comforts that we do have. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Figueroa and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Olivia for her message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends. I met people from Newcastle once. I was in Barcelona with Rochelle and her mother, and we were at a bar drinking sangria. And we like, there's a man and his two sons. <laughs> and we're like, oh, you know, where are you guys from? And they're from Newcastle. And I'm like, oh, like the beer. And they, the three of them just looked like shocked because we had just told them that we're from Canada. And they go, how do you know about that? And I'm like, we we get the beer. Like, I like the beer. We get the beer. And so I know Newcastle. That's the only thing I know about it. I don't know if it's a good or bad place. But they were just like bamboozled that like we would know about Newcastle. So anyway.